Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com. If our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. Matt, thank you so much to our volunteers, to our 200 students, to Pastor Drew and our incredible youth staff for making that possible. It just gets me so pumped to see our kids worshiping the Lord and excited about their faith and the calling God has on their life. And man, youth camp is something special. Having spent a lot of time at youth camp, I can tell you a couple things about youth camp. Number one, it can be a time in a teenager's life where their relationship to Jesus gets better than it's ever been and their personal hygiene gets worse than it's ever been, all right? Especially the boys, for some reason, they don't want to bathe. Some of you guys packed your teen boys, sent them off to camp with five pairs of clean underwear. They came back with four pairs of clean underwear. I don't know why it works out that way, but they had a great time. They had so much fun, and a lot of decisions were made for Jesus, and we are so, so pumped. So thank you guys again for those who made it possible. Thanks and welcome to our Grovetown campus, our South Campus, our Dream Center, those watching live in the atrium, online, wherever you are. We are so glad that you're here. We're one church family in a lot of different places, but man, it's just great to worship together. And it's great to to see you guys. I know a lot of us have been on the road. Maybe you've been on vacation. It's that time of year when family vacations are happening. I've been following some of you on Instagram, seeing your beach pictures and different stuff. And it's a sweet time of year for that. I remember a few years ago, I was asking our family like, hey, where do you guys wanna go for vacation this year? And our youngest, Chatham, who was only about four years old at the time, he said, Daddy, I want to go to America. And I said, buddy, guess what? You're already there. In fact, it's the only place you've ever been. Now, there's certainly a lot more of America to see, but you've never been anywhere where you haven't been there. And I got to thinking about it, and that's kind of how God's presence works. If you were to ask a Christian or or anybody, where do you want to be? We might say, well, I want to be close to God. I wanna be in God's presence. Well, guess what? You're already there. In fact, it's the only place you've ever been. And certainly there's a whole lot more of God to experience, but you've never been anywhere where you haven't been with God. And that's good news. And maybe right now you're in a valley, you're in a dark place, a hard place, and you're saying, is God with me here? Absolutely, he is. Maybe you're on top of the world, things are going well. Is God with you? Absolutely, he is. And today, as we continue in our Heroes series, where we're looking at Heroes of the Faith, And these are regular people. Now, Jesus is the only perfect hero. Every other person who's ever lived made a lot of mistakes, including these heroes we're looking at. But these folks did some things right. These brave men and women, they followed God, they trusted God, and and the world changed as a result. And today's hero is a guy that understood that principle that God is always with us, and he understood it well. Because he had moments when he was on the bottom, where he experienced injustice and disappointment and betrayal and loss, And he knew God was with him there. And when he was at the bottom, that knowledge that God was with him, it kept him having some peace and perspective and it kept his heart from going hard. But then he experienced unimaginable promotion and blessing and prosperity. And when he was on top, he knew God was with him and that kept him humble and that kept him wise and that kept him focused on others instead of just serving himself. And in all the peaks and valleys of life, he just knew that God was with him. And we can learn so much from his story. So the hero we're going to look at today is a guy named Joseph. Now, there are two famous Josephs in the Bible. There's New Testament Joseph, as in Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and that Joseph's a hero too, you know, Jesus' stepdad. He was, he was a man of great faith. However, what we're going to look at today is Old Testament Joseph. 
Now, Old Testament Joseph has one of the longest narratives in the Bible, meaning when you look at the word count for how many words and chapters were dedicated to telling a person's story, the story of Joseph is one of the longest ones in the Bible, which tells us that this story is important, and there is so much in there. And we're going to dive into his story in just a minute, but before we do kind of a recap of what this whole series has been about, it kind of comes down to, to this one point, that any of us can be heroes of the faith because of this. A hero is anyone who chooses to courageously follow God and guides others to do the same. So if you want to be a hero, you don't have to, you don't have to be a superhero, you don't have to dunk a basketball, you don't have to be a rock star, you don't have to be a billionaire, any of that stuff. You can be a regular, regular person who simply has an authentic faith and lives out your authentic faith in Jesus in a way that you encourage others to follow the Lord as well. And any of us can do this. And in fact, those are the kind of heroes we should celebrate. The Bible says it this way, remember your leaders or remember your heroes who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. So the real heroes, the Bible is saying, it, it rarely is those people that we have their posters on our wall when we're teenagers. It's the people that volunteer to go to youth camp with us when we're teenagers so that they can sleep on an uncomfortable bunk bed and stay up way too late, but encourage us and help us in our journey as we follow the Lord. They're the parents who encourage us, the aunts and uncles and teachers and coaches and friends and mentors and cousins and people in our lives or in our cubicles or in our offices who are living out an authentic faith and guiding others to do the same. And this is something all of us can do, and this is something all of us should do. And Joseph is a guy, an imperfect guy like us, who lived out an authentic faith, and God changed the world through him. And there's so much we can learn from his story. So let me give you kind of a recap of Joseph's story, and then we're gonna dive into scripture and look at some very specific points that relate to our lives and what we can learn as a result. So Joseph was the grandson of a guy named Abraham. Abraham was this guy to whom God came and said, Abraham, through you, through your descendants, I'm gonna create a great nation and I'm gonna bless the whole world and you're gonna have so many, so many offspring that you know, like your grandchildren, great-grandchildren all the way down the line. If you look at all the stars in the sky, people in your line are gonna be more than the stars you can count. And Abraham chose to believe God, but that seemed like an impossible thing because at the time, Abraham was old, his wife was old, well beyond the years of childbearing. They had been barren. They had prayed for children all their life. God had not answered that prayer. And now God's saying, that desire that's been on your heart your whole life to be parents, that you thought that dream was dead, I'm just getting started with you guys. And they chose to trust God. And sure enough, God gave them a a baby boy named Isaac. Now they named him Isaac because Isaac means laughter. And they thought the whole thing was pretty funny that they're changing a baby's diapers while they themselves are also in diapers. Like that's how old they were. And God has a sense of humor. And so like, this is funny. So Isaac grows up, he has twin boys, Jacob and Esau. The line of of continuing that nation goes through Jacob. Jacob grows up, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, which is also the name of the nation that God was gonna establish to this family. And eventually God was gonna bring his own son, the Messiah, the savior of the world, Jesus, through that same line. Jacob grows up. He has 12 sons and daughters too, big family, but it's a dysfunctional family, and it's dysfunctional for several reasons. Number one, Jacob disregarded God's plan for marriage. God's plan for marriage is, is you know, you, you, you commit to, it's one man, one woman, you commit to each other, and you, you're with each other in a covenant for life. Jacob's like, ah, I think I want to do it a little different. So he was married to two women at the same time, which is 
not a good idea, and it was very, very messy and broken. And then just to add drama to it, the two women he was married to were sisters. Can you imagine the tension in that household when two sisters are married to the same dude? And then to add to further complications, he had a few more kids with just some of the, the female servants that were there. And this is a guy that didn't have a lot of restraint in this part of his life, and it created a very messy, blended family dynamic. And then to add further tension to that, of his kids, instead of treating them all equally and loving them all equally, Jacob, Israel, played favorites. And he elevated one son, Joseph, number 11 of 12 of the boys, to be his very favorite. Joseph was just the apple of his eye. Joseph got away with everything. All the rest of the kids had to get all their back-to-school clothes at Costco. Joseph got to go to the mall and buy whatever he wanted, and he had a whole different set of rules Jacob made Joseph this coat of many colors, which is a famous story, basically making him stand out. And Joseph liked it. He strutted around like a proud peacock in that coat of many colors. And his brothers hated him. They hated him. Now, Joseph, he was young and naive and maybe a little bit cocky. So he made the mistake of telling his brothers about a dream that he kept having where all of his brothers were bowing down to him. He was like, guys, you're not going to believe this crazy dream I'm having. But I keep dreaming that all of you are bowing down to me. Isn't that wild? His brothers are like, I hate this dude. I hate him so much. So his brothers are looking at him like, man, this young punk thinks he, that he's just the king of the castle. We've got to get rid of him. And so in their own jealousy and in their own just brokenness and dysfunction that had kind of been part of their family for generations, they decided to do the unthinkable. They say, let's get rid of Joseph. So they lure him out into the wilderness like, hey man, come on, let's go check on the livestock and stuff. And they lure him out there and then they tie him up. They throw him down in the bottom of an abandoned well. And then the brothers circle up and they're like, now what are we gonna do with him? And he hears them plotting about him from the bottom of this well in, in ropes thinking, what in the world is happening? And some of the brothers are like, well, let's kill him. That'd be the easiest thing, let's kill him. And then another one says, no, no, I got a better idea. You see, there's this group of nomads over there. They're, they're going to Egypt. And I bet we could sell him sell our own brother as a slave, and then they could take him to Egypt and they, you know, they could resell him. The, the slave market there is booming. Joseph's young and strong and, and we can get some bucks for him. And that way we didn't actually kill him. We also get some money. And the brothers agree that this was a good idea. Can you imagine your own brothers betraying you in this kind of way? So they pull him up out of this well. They sell him to these strangers like he's livestock. And this Joseph, 17 years old at the time, this 17-year-old kid chained to the back of a camel, walking through the desert to an unknown future, watching his brothers count money behind him that they are counting because they betrayed him in such a way. They take that coat of many colors of his, they rip it up, they kill an animal, put animal blood on it, take it home to their dad and say, Dad, I don't know what happened, but it looks like Joseph got killed by an animal. And his dad, J Jacob, just collapses in grief and stays in that grief for really for years and years. And his brothers have to live with this awful lie. And living with a lie is one of the heaviest, darkest things a person can carry. That's why we're not called to do it. We're called to live in the light. But they, they made a pact. We can never tell anybody what we did. And they lived with that. Meanwhile, Joseph ends up in Egypt, Cairo, the capital of the world. And he's put up on an auction block like he's a goat or a cow. And he's, he's sold to a guy named Potiphar, who is one of the nobles in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh is the king over Egypt, the most powerful man in the world. Potiphar works for Pharaoh. Joseph goes home to, 
to this place where he doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the customs, he doesn't know what's expected of him, but he doesn't have freedom anymore. And in that moment, he has to make the first of a series of life-altering decisions. Am I gonna be bitter? Am I gonna just plot ways that I'm gonna murder my brothers when I see them? Or am I gonna choose to trust that even though this is a terrible situation, that God is with me and that God is for me and that somehow, someway, God is gonna bring good out of this. And Joseph chose to make his heart not grow hard, but instead he chose to trust God. And this is the first lesson we can learn from Joseph's life. Joseph chose to live honorably even when he was being dishonored by others. How he first chose to live honorably is he's like, well, if this is where God has me right now, then I wanna be good at my job. I wanna learn the language. I'm gonna um, be really trustworthy with the tasks that are assigned to me. And so he worked hard. Potiphar took notice within a few years, Joseph had been put in charge of the whole household. He's running the house. But as he's running the house, Potiphar's wife, who didn't have any moral character herself, takes notice of this handsome young man. And she's like, you know what? I mean, I technically just own this guy and I could have some fun with him. And so she says, hey, I got, you, I got a new task for you. You're gonna go to bed with me. And Joseph could have very easily given into that. In fact, his life would have been easier had he given into that to say, you know what? I, I mean, I might as well. I don't really have a say in all of this. And besides, like, I mean, I, I'm not having any fun here. This might be a little diversion and, and my life would be easier if I went along with it. But he refused. He said, I'm not gonna dishonor my God in that way. He refused. He, he had seen in his own father what happens when that gift of sex is misused and how that ultimately causes brokenness and pain. And he says, I'm, I'm choosing a different path. I'm not gonna give into that temptation. She did not like that. Here's what happened. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. He did his best to avoid her. But one day, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. There's some scandalous stuff in the Bible. Some of you guys are looking at me like, this is in the Bible? <laughs> Sounds like a Lifetime movie. What is this that you're reading? So he, he runs out of the house. She's holding onto his, his cloak and, and he's just like trying to get away from this, this mad woman. But now she's like, you know what? If he's not gonna give in, I'm just gonna make his life even worse. The only thing worse than being a slave in Egypt is being a prisoner in Egypt. And so she made it her mission. That's where he's gonna go. Prison, not American three hot meals a day cable TV prison, but Egyptian prison which is like, smells like sewage, cold, nasty food. You sleep on hard concrete prison and that's where she wanted to send him. And eventually that's where he ended up. And in this moment, I think is when a lot of people would have just lost faith altogether. It's like, God, listen, I've tried. I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to do it your way. You let me be kidnapped. You let me be betrayed. You let me be sold like I'm cattle. You let my freedom be stripped away. Then you let me be falsely accused, experiencing injustice. And now I'm in this prison. And many of us, I think, would have just shaken our fist at God and saying, you know what, God, forget you. I'm just gonna look out for number one because nobody else is doing it. But that's not what Joseph did. This young man, again, he's like, I don't know why any of this is happening. This is wrong. We can call it wrong. This is injustice. This is terrible. This is uncomfortable. But I'm choosing to believe that my God is with me, my God is for me. And even though I don't understand why this is happening, I'm gonna trust that God is good. And I'm gonna do my best. If I'm gonna be a prisoner, I'm gonna be the best prisoner. 
and I'm going to work hard. That's the second thing Joseph did. Joseph chose to give his best effort even in the worst of situations. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm going to treat people good if they treat me good. If my boss treats me good, then I'll give my best effort. But I'm, I'm going to do as little as possible for a boss that doesn't pay me what I think I deserve to be paid or doesn't treat me the way I deserve to be treated. But the Bible says that we should do our work as if God is our boss, that we're not working for humans. But if we're, whether we're sleeping floors or teaching kids or changing transmissions in cars or running corporations, we should do it as if we're working directly for Jesus. And it's an act of worship to give our very, very best and to do it with honor. And Joseph chose to do that and God blessed him as a result. So coming back to this story right after Joseph escapes Potiphar's wife, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So this is like a a really interesting contrast. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was blessing Joseph and causing him to succeed. But on the surface, every part of his life was messed up. He was in prison still. He still had no freedom. He still had no, no way to go make a life of his own. He was still behind bars, but yet... He knew that God was with him there, and he chose to flourish and thrive there. And a man with God inside of a prison is far freer than somebody in a mansion without God. And Joseph understood that. He understood that I'm free already. And one day God's going to change these temporary circumstances, and these walls are going to come down. But in the meantime, I'm going to trust that God's doing something in me and for me and through me right where I am. And maybe you're in a season and it's not a physical prison. Though, if you're watching this online from a prison, God bless you and God is with you while you're there and we are praying God's blessings for you. But in whatever situation you are in, to know I might be in a struggle right now. I might be in a long season of waiting where my health isn't what I want it to be, where I'm experiencing pain or loss or rejection or hardship. And I'm like, God, where are you in this? Why does it still hurt? Why won't you deliver me from this? But it's in those moments of pain, if we'll choose to trust God in it, say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like this. I don't like the way this feels, but I know that you're with me. I know that you're good. I know that one day in eternity, all this is going to make sense. In this life, it might not make sense at all, but I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to to keep going. I'm choosing to to let you do the work in me that you wanna do in this difficult season. And that's what Joseph did. Now, in the midst of all this, we we find out that Joseph is given a very unique spiritual gift. And that is, whenever somebody has a dream, if they tell Joseph what that dream is, Joseph can decipher whether God has encoded a message within that dream. Because sometimes God will speak to people through dreams. And Joseph had the ability to determine whether or not that dream was a message from God. So fast forward a few years, Pharaoh, the king over all of Egypt, he's having these dreams, these strange dreams, and they're keeping him up at night. And he's asking all of his advisors, what does this mean? And they're like, I have no idea. But one of them who had been in prison before was like, I used to be in prison with this guy named Joseph. and, uh, And he's got this really unique gift where 
he knows what dreams mean. You should call him out of prison and ask him. So sure enough, Pharaoh summons Joseph from prison. The most powerful man in the world calls you out of prison. So they clean him up, they shave him, they put on the right clothes, and he's standing in the king's palace before Pharaoh, knowing that this Pharaoh has the power to, if he doesn't like what Joseph has to say, snap his fingers and the kid is beheaded right in front of him. It's a lot of pressure. And Pharaoh says, I hear you're good with dreams and you can tell me what my dreams mean. And Joseph looks at him and says, I can't help you, but my God will give you the answer you need. And that's a bold statement for a lot of reasons, but number one is because the Pharaoh thought he himself was a God. He thought he was God. And this prisoner is looking at him and saying, you know, I know you think you're a big deal, but the God I serve is greater than you, and he will help you, Pharaoh, he'll help you. And Pharaoh was so desperate for the answer, he's like, all right, I'm gonna give you a shot. Here's the dream, and he explains this dream. Joseph's like, all right, I know what this means. God is telling you what's gonna happen in Egypt. And over the next seven years, you're gonna experience unbelievable prosperity. You're gonna create more crops and more growth than you've ever had. It's gonna be a booming time, a bull market. All the crops are gonna be growing big. And what you've gotta do is save as much of that as you can because after those seven years, there's gonna come seven years of famine and hardship and depression like you can't imagine. It's not gonna rain. The crops aren't gonna grow. The whole world is gonna be starving. But if you, Pharaoh, will save up crops, then you will not only have enough for those seven years, you'll have enough to sell to the neighboring countries. In fact, what you should do, and now Pharaoh, Joseph puts himself in a position of giving advice to the king. He said, this is what you need to do. You need to appoint a governor over the whole land, give him absolute authority to to be over all of the crops and all of the income and all of the taxes so that he can take in and measure how much needs to be saved and he can store it. And then when the seven years of hardship comes, that same person can be responsible for making sure everyone gets what they need, selling it to the countries that need it. That's what you need to do. And Pharaoh's like taken back because no one talks that directly to him, but he starts thinking about it and he says, you know what? He's right, and I can't think of anyone else in this country more qualified for that position of leadership than him. And right in that moment, the Pharaoh appoints Joseph as second in command over all of Egypt and puts him in charge of of all of the commerce and all of the crops and everything. And so in a moment, this kid goes from being a prisoner, the lowest rung on the ladder, to being promoted to the very, very top, the second most powerful person on planet Earth, right under the Pharaoh, and only God could do that. But it was all those years of faithfully waiting on God, having his own character developed and his own maturity developed, that God was preparing him for this position of unimaginable leadership that he could not have fathomed was coming. But in just the right moment, at just the right time, God promoted him, and he started to lead, and he led so effectively, and he led so well. And one thing he did during this season of great leadership is he got married and he started a family of his own. This is the next thing we can learn about Joseph, what he did. Joseph chose to break his family's generational cycle of brokenness. He thought back to his own father who he loved and respected and honored. But he also said, I wanna do some things differently than dad did because dad made some mistakes that caused a lot of pain and I, I wanna prevent my kids from experiencing that. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. 
So Joseph being put in a position where he could have anything he wanted, absolute authority, where he's, he, he could say, you know, all those years of hardship and suffering and forced celibacy, you know what, I'm gonna live it up. I'm in Egypt, the most like hedonistic country on earth. I could have a harem for myself. I could marry as many women as I want. He's like, but I've seen where that leads and I wanna do family God's way. And I'm not gonna dishonor God by misusing that gift of sex. I'm gonna be married to one woman and I'm gonna be faithful to her and we're gonna raise our kids and I'm gonna love those kids equally. I'm not gonna play favorites the way that my dad did. Even though I was the favorite, I saw the brokenness that that created and I'm gonna love these boys equally. I'm gonna let them know that they are precious and prized right where they are. And, and he did. In fact, even today, the 12 tribes of Israel named after the 12 sons of Jacob, there's not a tribe of Joseph because he split his inheritance between his two sons. And so that 12th tribe is a half tribe of Ephraim and the half tribe of Manasseh. He didn't care about, Joseph didn't care about his own name living on. He wanted to bless his children. And there's so much I think that we can learn from that. I think one of the greatest application points of Joseph's story in our modern time and in our modern world is the power that comes when we choose to break negative generational cycles in our family. And all of us have them. All of us have some messed up stuff in our family. We, we just do some stuff that we don't wanna repeat. You know, growing up in Kentucky, I had to say, there's some things in our family tree I don't wanna repeat. I don't care how much pressure you put on me, I'm not gonna marry a cousin. I'm just not. <laughs> Y'all love the Kentucky jokes. <laughs> it's funny, because it's kind of true. But, but in all seriousness, there, there are things that we just think, you know what? My family maybe has had generations of addiction. That's just, that's just how we roll. My family's like that Hank Williams Jr. song. When I'm doing that stuff, I'm just doing a family tradition. But I'm choosing to break that cycle and it's not gonna be the same for me. Maybe my family has a, a, a history of just brokenness or abuse or violence. And that's what I grew up experiencing. But when it comes to me, I wanna do things differently. And when you choose to break the cycle, it changes the world. Here's the deal, all of us will end up repeating what we experienced unless we're very intentional about doing something different. Even if you hated what you experienced, your default mode will be to repeat it unless you say, God, I wanna choose a different path. Not just what I saw, not just what I learned, I wanna do it differently. I wanna prevent pain because you're not responsible. None of us are responsible for the kind of home you grew up in, but all of us are responsible for the kind of home our children grow up in we can choose something different for them. And, and I'm thankful I had a dad who broke a cycle. My dad grew up in a very violent home. His father was a very violent and abusive man. His father had grown up in a very violent home. His father had been a violent and abusive man. Now, both of those men, my grandfather and my great-grandfather, later in life, both came to faith in Jesus, and it totally changed them. It turned that, that violent nature in them, and they, their heart was softened and they became tender and they became some of the kindest men later in life, but it didn't change the damage that was done when they were raising their own kids. My dad was raised with abuse and violence and he was an angry, violent young man. And he channeled that into football where he was very aggressive and he, and he couldn't just contain it there. So he got in all kinds of fights and trouble outside of that. But he came to faith in the Lord in his early 20s and God started doing a work in him. And then once he got married and they started having kids, he had to make the deliberate decision that like, 
how I was raised and how my natural tendencies still are. I'm bent towards anger, but I am choosing, deliberately choosing that I'm gonna break that cycle. My kids are not gonna grow up the way that I grew up, and we didn't. I still got spanked sometimes, and I deserved every one of them and more, trust me. But I was not in any way in an abusive household. I was in a home where there was love, not a perfect home, there's no such thing. But I was loved and I knew I was safe. Dad broke the cycle. You have the power to break cycles, even if you've done it wrong up to this point. You say, well, maybe I've, I've already done it wrong. I've already blown it. I've already fill in the blank. But our God is a God of grace and a God of new beginnings. And as long as you have a heartbeat, he still has a plan for you in this life, a plan to make things right, a things to, to bring reconciliation and peace when it's in your power to do it, a, things, a, a time to take responsibility and apologize maybe where, where, where you've done it wrong. Even if your kids are already grown and you've got a lot of regret, to start where you are to try to reach out and reconnect. And later in life, create that, that relationship you wish you would have had earlier. To not just say, well, this is how it's gonna be. Joseph chose a new path, and you and I can choose a new path. All these heroes we're looking at in Scripture, guys, these, these are regular people. These are flawed people. They made mistakes. They were tempted. They did some stuff wrong, like all of us. And God records their stories in the Bible to give imperfect people like us who've blown it in different ways hope that we can, we can make a turnaround too. But the biggest test of Joseph's life was what happened next. Because he experienced a reunion he thought he would never experience. He saw his brothers in those years of famine when now the rest of the world is starving and people are coming to Egypt, the only place left on earth that has food, to buy food. And Joseph is overseeing that entire process. And in the whole mass of people coming from all over, he sees all of his brothers there, hungry, starving, desperate, there to get food to take back to the rest of the family. And Joseph makes his way through the line and everybody parts as this great ruler is walking through and he walks up to these men and they fall on their faces before him, not recognizing him at all. He looks Egyptian, his head is shaved, he's wearing the gold, he's got the whole thing and he's a king. And all of a sudden his mind goes back to that dream he had as a teenager and he was dreaming of this moment. It's God's way of saying, you see, I orchestrated all of this. All those places you've been, all of those injustices that happened, even before they happened, I was orchestrating all of this. And as he sees his brothers there bowing to him, and he has absolute power in that moment to do whatever he wants to him. He can snap his fingers and they're executed. And the family line stops and the nation that God wants to create is no more. But he, instead, he chose grace. Because his heart never grew hard through all of this. He didn't stay up at night fantasizing of the ways he was gonna get revenge on them, but instead he, he was grateful to his God for the good in his life. And so once this moment came, he was ready for it. And he tested them in several ways to just kind of see where their hearts were before he revealed himself. And then he stopped speaking Egyptian and he started speaking Hebrew and he looked at his brothers and he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold all those years ago. And the look on their faces was complete and utter terror because every night of their lives, while Joseph had been growing more and more in peace, they had been growing more and more tormented in guilt and in shame over what they had done. 
convinced that this moment would happen and they would be executed, they would be humiliated, they would be tortured, that Joseph reassured them. Even though he had the right to do all of those things, he did this instead. Joseph chose to give grace instead of taking revenge. And to me, these are some of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible. When you think of the the story that led to these words, but Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to care for you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. It led to this great reunion. Joseph's father was still alive at this point. And a very elderly Jacob makes his way to Egypt and there's a beautiful reunion, a reunion that, the kind of reunion that rarely happens on this side of heaven. Because he was so sure his son was dead and here he is face to face with his son again. And there were tears and there were joy and there was rejoicing. And it was a time, a beginning of a time of great prosperity and healing within this family. But because of grace, because of grace and because of one man's choice, Joseph's choice to trust God through the highs and the lows, knowing that God was with him through it all. What Joseph did for his brothers is really a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Because like Joseph, Jesus experienced injustice. He experienced punishment that he didn't deserve, that we inflicted on him through our sin. He willingly went to a cross and he gave his life dying in our place so that once we put our faith in him, we could be made right with God forever. And he doesn't in that moment look at us with condemnation and give us the the punishment or even the death we deserve, but he says, no, don't be afraid. All of this was part of the plan so that you could be made right with God forever. It was love that brought me to this point. This was the plan all along so that we could be in God's family, so this sweet family reunion could happen. And that's God's design for each of us, to be in God's family forever. You're a son, you're a daughter in God's kingdom once we put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter the brokenness in your family or even the brokenness that you've inflicted on others, we can receive that gift of grace that Jesus so freely gives. And once we receive it, it changes everything. I wanna pray for us as we wrap up. I wanna pray first for those here today who, who are in that season that feels like the prison moment for Joseph or it's cold and dark and you feel alone and you're like, God, where are you? That you would be reminded God is with you in this. He's with you and he's for you. And in his timing, and this is the tough part, God's timing is never the same as our timing. But if you'll trust in him, his timing will prove to be perfect and that you would trust him while you wait. I also wanna pray for those who have a decision to make, maybe in their own family. Maybe today's the day you make that difficult phone call that you reach out and you extend some grace to someone or you ask for grace for yourself. You do your part to heal a relationship in your family that's been broken. You're doing God's work when you do the work of a peacemaker. And it takes humility, it takes swallowing pride, but man, there there, there can be such reward in that. And finally, I wanna pray for those who haven't made the most important decision of all, which is to follow Jesus. It's a decision that can begin today and it is a decision that changes everything. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the grace that you give to us that none of us deserve. Thank you for using imperfect people like Joseph and like all of us 
to do your work and to be adopted into your family. And I pray for those who, like Joseph, God, are experiencing injustice and hardship right now. Comfort them. Assure them. Let them feel your presence. We know you're always with us, but in some moments, we just need to feel your presence more. It's when we're hurting the most, God. And you're with us in such a special way in those moments of pain. I pray, Lord, for those who have broken families and they want to change the cycle. Give them the strength and the direction, God, to take that first step in a new direction, to break those patterns of addiction or abuse or infidelity or whatever it might be and start in a new path, embracing your grace and strength every bit of the way and let future generations be blessed because of those decisions we're making today. And for those in this place, for those at Grovetown, for those at South Campus who've never yet made a decision to follow you, let today be the day that in their own mind and heart, they pray a simple prayer of faith and say, Jesus, save me. I surrender all to you. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. I've built a prison for myself by my own sin. And I'm asking you to free me today. Help me to walk with you. Help me be a part of your family and to live the life I was meant to live. And for all of us, Lord, as we leave this place in a few moments, let us leave knowing your peace and presence goes with us and you're bigger than anything we could ever face. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. Friends, thanks so much for being here. Thank you again to the entire team that made Youth Camp possible this week. I just, again, I'm, I'm on cloud nine hearing the stories of life change that our kids experienced. And all of you in different ways helped make that possible. Have a great week. Don't miss next Sunday as we wrap up this series. I'll see you then. God bless. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.